0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome into the Pipeline podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis, who have, well, Jonathan's back from his trip to Arizona Jim's out there now as you guys check in on on all these teams from a prospect standpoint and I know you also get to kind of look at at some of the major league players as well while you're out there but uh, safe travels along the way I guess as you make it from from team to team and we'll go through some of the teams that you have visited so far I know so far it's been Arizona and the Cactus League for both of you you'll be hitting Florida a little later on in the spring so we'll get to those teams down the road on the podcast. But let's focus in on some of the teams out in Arizona. Jonathan, I'll start with you because your trip came first, and let's start with the Indians. That's a team that you visited. It's a team with some some interesting prospects, obviously. Uh, but what stood out to you when you were with Cleveland?
2: Yeah, and keep in mind that 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 was the very very beginning of the Cactus League season. There were no minor league games at all. It was uh, first first big league game. Uh, in fact, was the day I was in Indians camp. So. Uh, there, there wasn't necessarily um, much to go on in terms of, oh boy, guys have really, have really stood out. Um, so a lot of uh, the sort of early impressions were guys who just showed up uh, in the proverbial, quote unquote, best shape of their lives. Uh, and two guys in big league camps that, that, that stood out were uh, Adam Pletko and Will Roberts. Um, you know, they're a little bit older. Uh, Pletko was a guy who kind of interesting he's a very much a command and control advanced college arm who who has made it to the upper levels of the system he's been a workhorse uh and got a lot stronger uh, during the offseason one of the things that stood out to to carter hawkins the indians farm director is that this is a guy who has had success he kind of is who he is and he could have very easily been well you know i'm just going to do my own thing i I threw a hundred and 60-some-odd innings last year. Uh, why Why do I need to change anything? But instead he went to their strength and conditioning camp and really worked on his lower half. And it's not like he's going to start throwing 98 miles an hour or anything like that, but it showed uh, some dedication to, to getting better and, and maybe maximizing what he does have. Uh, you know, limited ceiling back end starting rotation kind of guy. Uh, but uh, he was a guy who, who stood out in that regard, at least in the early going.
1: Maybe I should have started with this question for, for both of you guys, but how does how does spring training in general, from what you guys see, differ for for these minor league guys as opposed to guys getting ready for a major league season? Uh, Jonathan, you want to start with that, and then I'll get Jim's take as well.
2: Uh, yeah, I, you know, some of it depends on, on when you're going. Um, you know, for those guys in big league camp, uh, you know, if they're competing for a job, that's one thing, but some, they're just uh, trying to make a, an impression before they get sent down and they really can sort of prepare for, for their seasons. But, you know, on the minor league side, uh, before camp officially opens, they may be inter squad games. It's just a lot of workouts. And even though, you know, the minor league games are played on back fields, uh, without much attention. Um, it's a lot about just getting your work in and, and getting ready for your, for your season, but uh, they're also competing. Uh, you know, the, they'll all be placed on a certain uh, tentative roster. Uh, so if there's a guy who's hoping to make the jump to double-A, he he'll play with the double-A team during spring training and hope to make that team. Um, doesn't always work out that way, just like guys trying to compete for jobs at the big league level. Um, so, you know, it, I think it's just done out of the spotlight more than anything
1: else. And Jim on on the backfields right in a different clubhouse for these guys it's 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 a different atmosphere from my experiences than the big league camp.
0: Yeah I mean there's a lot less uh, commotion going around. I mean yeah my my preference would be just because you know I'm always you know been a prospect guy. I mean the big league guys you can see them on TV you can see them on your phone these days with all the technology and I prefer the backfields. You know I'm out here a bit early so there aren't a whole lot of minor league games but you know, to me, that, that that's the best part of the springs when the minor league games are in full swing. Usually, what happens is you you know each team's got four full season clubs and two of those, you know, if you're at a camp, two of their teams are playing at home, and then two of them are playing you know elsewhere uh, on the road. But you can usually not just you know you can you can go back and forth between two games and and usually see all kinds of prospects and it's informal and. Uh, you know, access. You know, we obviously have no problem with access, but it's kind of cool in the minor league fields too. Usually, you know, guys done in the game, you can grab him and talk to him right afterward. And uh, you know, everything Johnson said was true as well. You know, I think for the guys in big league camp, it's a for a lot of you know. I, I talked to Richie Martin today. In fact, I'm here in A's camp, and you know, for him, I mean, he knows he's not making the team. He's just first round pick last year, but it's like the first chance for the big league staff to, to get a look at him and see what he can do, and for him to work with some of the. Big league coaches like Ron Washington and, and Mark Ellis is in as a special instructor. But uh, now, if if I had my way, I I, I would spend I, I love spending you know a couple. It's perfect day out here, Tim, for me. You get your interviews done in the morning, and then you spend your afternoon watching a couple games out, uh, you know, on somebody's backfield.
1: You mentioned that you're with the A's today, Jim. So let's let's talk about that a little bit. You mentioned Richie Martin, but who else? Um, I know it's still early, early in the day before noon out there in Arizona, but who else are you excited to, to get a look at at Ace camp or who has impressed you so far in your limited time there this morning?
0: You know, I have not checked the lineup, so I'm not sure if I'm going to see these guys in action in the big league game today. Although we, we do get to see Kent Maeda of the Dodgers, uh, which will be interesting. But uh, I think the guy that, you know, he's doing a little bit differently than most people on the minor league side. You know, the, the, most teams have everybody here now. And even, you know, I do like some mini camps. Some teams have, you know, the Padres have had their guys in for a while. Um, These, all their position players won't be here until the weekend. Um, So they have not, you know, but but flip side of that is I think they have probably a higher percentage of prospects who aren't on the 40-man roster, top prospects not on their 40-man roster, or non-roster invitees. Almost all their guys are in big league camp either as part of the 40-man or non-roster invitees. And the guy who I think has made the biggest impression is Matt Chapman, the first-round pick from two years ago. He's already hit a couple home runs up here. Um, he's really impressed, uh, I think, the A's brass with his defense at third. I mean, this is a potential Gold Glover. Um, there's some talk that he probably has the strongest arm in the organization, you know, major and minor leagues. So he's really a guy who's opened some eyes. And, again, you know, Matt Chapman was in the Cal League last year. He's not going to make the team out of spring training or anything like that, but he is going to go to double-A. And he's making a very positive impression on the big league staff. And, you know, I think when he comes back next year, it might still be a little early for him to compete for a big league job. You know, we'll see what happens this season. But he's going to be a lot closer. And this first impression is going to stick with the staff when, you know, either if he's, you know, actually competing for a job next year they're looking to call him up in the middle of 2017. They're going to remember that you know, first time he came out here and got some at-bats, you know, he performed very, very well.
1: Uh, Jonathan, back to you. I know after the Indians, you, you visited the Diamondbacks at home, obviously, in Arizona. And the story with the Diamondbacks during this, this offseason was more the prospects that they gave up to improve the Major League Club than, than the guys that they have there. But, you know, who who from what's left, I guess, in, in that system and, and maybe some of the lesser guys as far as ranking go, who's been impressive with the Diamondbacks?
2: Yeah, it's interesting cause, uh, the way we do the spring training is uh, – we figured the schedule out independently of who did which team's top 30s. So some, some team, you know, I didn't do the Indians top 30, uh, but I did do the Diamondbacks top 30. So you're going with a a different familiarity level, I think. Um, And, uh, and maybe you, you spend too much time with the list. So you feel like, well, it's better than you think. And then maybe uh, an external, more external observer would say differently, but, the Diamondbacks' top thirty was not as bad as I thought it was going to be, given, you know, the, the 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 trades that they made, particularly the the Shelby Miller trade. Obviously, when they got rid of the top two, so it, it's a little short on top, but it's a little deeper, and there's just a lot of big arms, um, and guys who more likely than not end up helping out of a bullpen. But a lot of there are a lot of pieces there that could help uh, help out of the bullpen. Um, so Vino Bracco is this kind of guy who is kind of intrigued me from the time that I stuck him on at the bottom of the list because uh, he he's not a he's not a 98 99 guy. They have a few guys who can pop triple digits. Um, Adam Miller has been banged up uh, had some some arm issues, uh, so we'll see what what, uh, what goes on there. But uh, Bracco is more of a guy who mixes his pitches. I mean, throws hard enough, uh, but kind of came out of nowhere and, and and made it up to the big leagues last year, and he's competing for a job in – in big league camp for for the bullpen, and uh, you know I, I I'm a big believer that if you can cobble together a bullpen that way, you know then then you have the ability to to maybe s- spend some of your resources elsewhere. Uh, maybe that comes from living in Pittsburgh for so long, and the Pirates have done that for years. But uh, Brocko is kind of a guy who uh, who has has stood out, uh, I think, in the early going uh, in, in terms of how he's thrown and how he impressed people last year just with his uh, with his ability to to, to get outs on a consistent basis at all levels.
1: Hey Jim, I know today you're with the A's. Yesterday you were with the other Bay team, the Giants, I believe. Um, and, and that's a team, obviously at the major league level, that that's made some moves and wants to contend again because it's, of course, an even year, 2016. But um, I know in your your notes to me, you mentioned Mac Williamson being impressive there, the the outfielder for the Giants. What what has stood out to you about him?
0: Both but, but him and Christian Arroyo, and they were both impressive in the fall league as well. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, those, those guys, I, 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 I'll I, paraphrase Danny Green, they are who they are and who we thought they were. I mean, Mac Williamson's is, you know, he's a better athlete, I think, than people give him credit for. I mean, he's about, I don't know, 6'4, 220. And of course, you see a guy that big, and, and you think of power, and he can hit for power, but. You know what, he, he, his discipline uh, impressed me in the fall league. It's made an impression on the Giants this spring. He, he's already got a couple of homers uh, so far. Um, he, he's gotten you know fairly regular playing time with the Giants, um, and I think he, he runs better and plays better defense and has a better arm than people realize. He, he's using the whole field, I think, more than he was earlier in his career. Um, the Giants, I, I think to me, if they carried five outfielders, he'd be the obvious fifth outfielder. Um, you know, I, And I don't know. If they'll do that, if, if they go with four, he might be looking at some more AAA time. But, he, but he's been very impressive. And, and then Christian Arroyo also, I mean, all that guy does is hit. I mean, I think he hits 300 everywhere he's been. And, you know, it, I'm not sure what he did. Uh, I didn't check the stats again after yesterday's game. But, you know, his first early taste of action out here, you know, four for eight, you know, shocking. You know, Christian Arroyo's hitting line drives and getting base hits. I mean, that's what the guy does. Uh, you know, it would be very interesting to see where he winds up defensively. Because they are so loaded in the infield right now, but I, you know, with his bat, you know, he's probably a couple of years away, still or a year and a half away. But I mean, he's going to hit his way into that San Francisco lineup in one role or another.
1: Jonathan, back to you as we kind of swing back and forth among these teams. But I know the Brewers are a team that that did a lot to to boost up that system in the last year, maybe a little over a year. When you went out there and, and saw some of these guys that they've brought in, uh, were they what you expected to see? Is is that system as improved as we think it is?
2: Yeah, I, I think it is, and I sort of posed the question in the report that I wrote. And um, actually, I'm curious, you know, if Jim agrees with this. They, you know, they had they had a stretch in the mid 2000s when they were churning out kind of high level impact guys, you know, Ryan Braun and then uh, Prince Fielder and J.J. Hardy. Uh, Jonathan Lucroy a little bit after that. Um, but they have not had this kind of depth where you look at that list 1 to 30, and everybody is at the very least really interesting. Um, they have a lot of high upside, maybe high risk kind of guys that even if some of them figure it out, then they're going to have some you know even more impact guys that they've taken in the last couple of drafts. Um you know, they had, had they had their first inter squad uh game the day that I was in camp. Um and you know guys are already really, really standing out. Uh Cody Ponce, uh who was sort of the bane of my existence maintaining the uh, Brewers list at the end of last year because we had him under ranked initially and just kept performing and then was constantly getting yelled at by, by Brewers fans that he was too low. So we have now in the top top ten. He was up to 96, uh, two solid innings in the inter-squad, and uh, he's gotten himself in better shape. He's kind of a big-bodied guy, so it, he was good. Sometimes those guys, you know, right after the draft in their first spring training, they, they do not know how to get themselves in shape for the year. So the fact that he has is, has done well. And Miguel Diaz is another guy who threw really well with lighting up the radar gun. They had – uh, elbow issues that really slowed down from slowed Duncan. So you see him healthy and throwing very good. And then Ethan Diaz, who uh, came from the Diamondbacks in uh, that Tyler Wagner deal, uh, also showed that what he did last year in winning the Pioneer League MVP uh, doesn't seem to be a fluke, really swinging about well, at least you know in the very, very early stages. But Joe, I was curious because I sort of posed the question in the report you know, that this is the best possibly the best system the Brewers have ever had. Um, You know, I don't know what kind of institutional memory you have about the Brewers over the years, but it seems to me that I can't recall since I started working on lists at all, the Brewers having this deep of a system.
0: No, it's probably deeper than it's been um, in a long time. I mean, I think obviously they've got to do it in the big leagues like Braun and Fielder and Hardy and all those guys did. Um, But, you know, I think they have the potential with that depth to, to make the same kind of impact. I know, uh, before I started working at Baseball America, I want to say I think the Brewers were Baseball America's organization of the year for three years in a row, from 1982 through '84. Although you had Gary Sheffield coming out in that time, uh, I think a lot of those guys ultimately didn't pan out. Joey Myers, for some reason, the prospect who sticks in my mind. Um, you know, you know, I guess Billy Spires was a little bit later, but uh, uh, you know, I, I think it definitely has that, that potential and that upside. I agree. I mean, you you look at that system; it, it's incredibly deep. Uh, you know, th- that that's a system where it, you look at guys who are ranked fifteenth or twentieth, and you think they they might be ten spots higher in a lot of other farm systems.
1: Well, we've talked about the Brewers and how much that system's improved. The Padres' uh, system obviously got a jolt this off season. Jim, the the trade of Craig Kimbrell brought in four prospects from the Red Sox, and and. Some of them have impressed already, including, right, number one prospect for the Padres now in Manuel Margot.
0: Yeah, I think they've all made good impressions. I mean, and, you know, is the Padres' system as strong as it was before Aj Preller we, we was trading a bunch of their better prospects a year or so ago to get veterans? No, but they did add a lot of talent last year. You know, almost the, the, the upper half of their list is dominated by guys who are recent acquisitions. And, and that Kimbrel trade brought in four guys. I mean, Margot. You know, they, again, I, I think what's pleased the Padres is he has been exactly as advertised. You know, he's—you know—making contact. I think he had one strikeout in his first nine or ten plate appearances in big league camp. He's getting hits. His, his well above average speed has been apparent. Um, his I think he's probably the be, the best center fielder they have defensively uh, in the upper levels of the organization, and he's shown that too. So he's made a a very positive impression. Uh, out there, and so have some of the other guys in that trade. I mean, they have not. They've, they've, they're minor league guys. Get out here pretty early, so they've played. They haven't played any official minor league games, but they've played some inner squats and stuff. And I, I bumped into to AJ Preller and was asking him about Gara, and he pointed out, you know, first game he played, Gara made three ridiculous plays and was hitting the ball hard. And I mean, this is a guy who hit 15 home runs last year in Low A uh, as a teenager, and everybody thinks his defense is even better than his power and. And then, you know, one of the youngest guys that got in that trade, Logan Allen, who was a eighth-round pick last year. And not an eighth-round pick on talent because he signed for $725,000. I mean, he's looked really good, too. He's made strides with his changeup. He's thrown in the low 90s. He's He's got a pair of interesting breaking balls. He, he's extremely polished uh, on the mound. I mean, he he doesn't get talked about as much with Margot and, and Garrett because those guys are top 100 guys. But he's really good, too. And, and even Carlos Aslahe, who's – He's probably more of an offensive minded utility man than an everyday player. Uh, you know, he, he, he's got the Padres, I think, are pleased with his versatility and, and pleased with his offensive upside. I think they got probably a, a more extensive look at him because they were able to watch him during the fall league before that trade came about. But, uh, you know, so far, so good for the Padres. I, I, I think they're pretty pleased with the initial returns on that deal.
1: Jonathan, you uh, visited the Mariners as well. Um, one guy you mentioned being a standout—they're filled with Jacksons, of course, in the Seattle system. But Drew Jackson, um, who is not a first-round pick like Alex Jackson, but the fifth-rounder in 2015, uh, good bloodlines—the younger brother of of Cubs first-rounder Brett Jackson. Um, well, what stood out to you about Drew Jackson?
2: A lot of it is just sort of how he carries himself. Um, you know, again, to, to reiterate, just because. There hadn't been any games yet, you know, so he hasn't had a chance to show much, but uh, his stories are sort of interesting because really his first two years at Stanford, he didn't hit. I mean, and when I mean he didn't hit I mean he really, really didn't hit. Um, and then his junior year started to, to to come together and he hit and, you know, fifth round pick was looking like it might be a steal. He went out and absolutely tore up the Northwest league, which I know it's short season, but, uh You know, he showed a great feel at the plate, advanced approach, uh, a lot of contact, uh, unbelievable speed. He stole 47 bases in 59 games last summer. And he can play shortstop. You know, and and this is a system that is sort of bereft of any impact players. And, you know, I'm not quite ready to say that Drew Jackson is going to be an impact player. I think he needs to to go and back it up. But he could move a little bit more quickly. Um, You know, they've had a a string of kind of middle infielders who – Play shortstop, but really aren't shortstops every day. You know the Brad Millers of the world, but uh, Drew Jackson is is legitimately a shortstop. That speed allows him to cover a lot of ground, and uh, he's got a gun for an arm. And just in camp, he, uh, you know, he didn't show up in spring training thinking, oh, you know, I figured it all out already. Uh, So let me let me just be. He's been working hard. He's the kind of guy that makes guys around him better, which is what you want from a shortstop, too. So I think it was the kind of thing the Mariners wanted to see what he was going to be like having him in, in camp for the first time after his pro debut, uh, after getting such you know, rave reviews and maybe seeing him for a brief time at Instructs, and he has been just as advertised, if not better.
1: Jim, the White Sox are a team that isn't afraid to move their pitchers quickly. Obviously, we saw Chris Sale cruise through the minor leagues. Carlos Rodon, a college guy who who went quickly, and now in in last year's draft they took Carson Fulmer. He's their number one prospect right now. Is he a guy who, as he gets into his first full season here in 2016 in the minors, you expect to really cruise?
0: I do. I do. I mean, he already pitched. I mean, the White Sox aren't afraid to move guys quickly, as you said. and you know, they, he pitched in high class A and pitched well at the end of last season. I think he's going to open this year in double A, which I don't think too many guys from last year's draft are going to start that high. He might, he might be the only one who starts in double A. And, you know, they'll push him as quick as he can handle it. I do think the White Sox are a potential wild card team this year. Um, you know, I think their season could go either way. I mean, if things don't go well, they, you know, they get headed toward another losing season. But if things break right, they, they brought in some guys. They could be a wild card contender. And I think if they contend, we could see both Carter Fulmer and Tim Anderson in the big leagues this year, their top two, two prospects. And, you know, I was there, I think I was there on Sunday. It's all kind of a blur now. I think Fulmer had pitched the day before in a big league game against the Royals. And, you know, some guys might have been intimidated. You know, first time, you know, it's an exhibition game, but still first time facing a big league team and it's the defending World Series champions. And, yeah, Carson Fulmer. As impressive as his stuff is, I think anybody who's ever talked to him or watched him pitch will tell you that the competitive makeup might even stand out more than the plus stuff. And and that's what the White Sox said. You know, did he, he attack the Royals? He did not uh, shy away from going after him. I mean, they they touched him for three runs and three innings, but he didn't walk anybody. He was ninety three, ninety four, sitting with the fastball. The changeup had its moments. He he uh, didn't have great command of his curve that day why so I got hit a little bit, but, uh, you know, just talking to people who watched that game, they, they, you know, they said it was, you know, not unexpected, you know, given what they knew about him. I mean, Carson was excited with the opportunity and, and you know, and with the challenge and, and didn't back down. So he, you know, so far so good. Uh, you know, I'll be curious to see how many more times he gets to pitch in big league camp because he's obviously not going to make the team right now. But I, I think that guy could, could move very, very quickly. And, and be up in the big league. Again, if they're contending and you told me he was in the big leagues in July, I, I could believe it. You know, and whether you know, I, I think long-term, I do fully believe he's a starter. I, I know he's a little guy, and I know it's a high-tempo delivery, but he brings that stuff every time out and competes, and, and I think he makes it work. But you know, it's possible they could break him into the big leagues like they did with Sale and initially with Rodon and, and use him as a, as a power arm out of the bullpen this year and then introduce him to the rotation in 2017.
1: Yeah, I know you've always liked him as the starter, uh, Jim, even going back to last year's draft and getting ready for the draft. Let's stay in Chicago but move up to the north side. Uh, Jonathan, I know you visited in with the Cubs, and and obviously it's a system they've had so many prospects come up in recent years. We haven't seen a lot of pitchers along the way, though, all those position guys. Is there Are there some young pitchers there in the system that, that you've gotten a good feel about during the spring, during your visit there?
2: Yeah, I mean, that was the sort of one of the, uh, the big takeaways of the fun uh, I had in being able to spend time talking about pitching. Um, you know, top top prospects are still hitters. The top, the top three prospects on their list are, are all position players. But uh, there, you know, there are a number of pitchers really top to bottom um, who, who really are kind of uh, interesting uh, and Probably the guy um, that has stood out early the most, and this was just like they had a little mini-camp uh, on the minor league, so it was Brian Hudson from last year's uh, draft class, who uh, the Cubs loved his curveball. You know, any time you have a pitcher throwing live BP and the hitters in the cage are walking out, shaking their heads, just saying that his stuff is nasty, that's a good sign. Um, you know, and, and that's what the hitters were saying against Hudson, Um, Jim you'll be happy to know I don't know if you got a chance to see my my Cubs report but I did mention Jim's favorite little Brian Hudson related trivia tidbit Uh, do you remember this one Tim
1: Brian Hudson Brian True. Hudson went to Alton High School in wait, Illinois. Wait, wait. Tallest man ever? Nicely done, <laughs> Robert Brown. <laughs> you give eight us foot name and his final height. I, I believe the height was seven eight, but I don't know the no, name. No.
0: I think it was eight foot eleven. Wasn't eight, it? Oh, eight eleven. Eight, eight All right. foot eleven, and right.
1: it
2: was it was, uh, it was seven foot eight, but eight foot eleven with the afro.
1: I think I get credit yep. just for remembering. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, and I threw that into the report just for Jim Stenson.
2: But Anyway. <laughs> I, I, I wish you had done the really five impressive. questions,
0: Jonathan. Um, I wish you had done the five questions with Brian Hudson, and you could have asked him about Robert Wadler. I did my five questions with Albert Elmora. So, uh,
2: Well, i, I, who, I just
0: to give you guys a sneak preview for tomorrow, and I'll let you get back to your Cubs, Jonathan. Yes. I did ask Lucius Fox about Batman when I talked to him yesterday. Outstanding.
2: He did, I did, and I noticed you did ask Brendan Rodgers about cutting the flow off, so that was good.
0: That's right, yeah. Um,
2: that was good. So, um, and you know, the the Midwest League staff for the the Cubs in South Bend, um, Jim and Doug wouldn't take you that long to get to South Bend, right?
0: Um, it's actually about a couple hours from where I live.
2: All right, but it's it's, you, it's you may, drivable. You may wanna, you may want to you may want to go out there because their their staff may be uh, fairly ridiculous. Um, yeah, especially if Hudson does get there at some point. He may not get there right away. But we've got Dylan Cease, um, you know, coming off the Tommy John surgery, throwing very well. Oscar de la Cruz is going to be in that rotation. He's a, a was a, a breakout candidate. Um, there's just a, a lot of guys who I'm trying to remember. Oh, Carson Sands, Justin Steele, who also was throwing well early. It's uh, Jason McLeod, who – uh, is in the front office, and it's not the kind of guy who oversells his own guys. Um, you know, if he's excited about a guy, he'll say so, but he he's not going to really blow a guy up for no reason. He was saying that that is the best staff that they've had in one place since uh, since you know he's been in the Cubs front office. So uh, obviously a few years away, um, but uh, some high-end talent there, so uh, some arms that can maybe eventually catch up to – the bats that are there and are continuing to get there.
1: One more stop on the Cactus League travel so far as far as you guys go, and that's Jim, you visited in with the Rockies, and you mentioned you guys mentioned Brendan Rodgers cutting his hair, which may be the, the most surprising tidbit we got from the Rockies as far as the minor league goes. But other than the new hairdo on Brendan Rodgers, their first-round pick last year, what else stood out to you, Jim, with the Rockies?
0: Well, I mean, I think I've I've, I've been beating this drum and, and saying, I mean, they weren't our number one ranked farm system. I think the Rockies came in at four. I do think they have the deepest system. Uh, they have guys, like, you know, ranked in the low teams who, who could be top five prospects in some organizations. And I think their balance just really jumps out at me. Anything you want, they have. Your hitters versus pitchers, guys who are ready to help this year, next year, 2018. It's kind of talent spread through their system. They, they have prospects at every position on the diamond, you know, legitimate, you know, high end prospects, even a catcher, which is probably the worst prospect position the minors right now. They have two catching prospects in Tom Murphy and Dom Nunez. And they have a bunch of their guys who are closer in big league camp. And again, I mean, you can't read too much into spring training statistics. And then the sample sizes are extremely small because they've only been playing games for about a week. But it, it, it's amazing. You look, and almost all their guys, all their prospects, their best prospects were in big league camp are, are playing well. You know, Raymel Tapia, you know, shockingly, he's making consistent line drive contact. And David Dahl is showing five tools. And Jeff Hoffman's stuff has looked awesome. And Kyle Freeland has looked really good. And John Gray has, you know, lit up the radar gun. And, All that said, I think the guy, and they have a number of of top prospects performing very well in big league camp. The the guy who has been the talk of camp is Trevor Story, who, as Greg Amsinger needled me, like how could you not have this guy in the Rockies' top ten because he's number 11 on our top 30. And I explained, look at the guys in the top ten. I mean, this is baseball's deepest system. But, I mean, Trevor Story's a a shortstop coming off a 2020 year in the upper minors last year, and he has really impressed the, the Rockies' And manager, Walt Weiss, you know, Jose Reyes is on paid leave right now and probably is facing a, a lengthy suspension for his domestic abuse incident. I think Trevor Story could be the opening day shortstop for the Rockies. I think Trevor Story could be the potential rookie of the year. I mean, you have a position player who's going to get a regular at bats at Coors Field. That's always a good recipe for, for rookie of the year. But he's, he's been, been a mania. Walt Weiss has cited him a couple of times, uh, just noting how well he's played. He's hit a couple home runs including one I think was about a 450-foot shot that kind of opened some eyes. I mean, he's, yeah, he's a shortstop, and he's probably an average defender, but he gets the job done. But, I mean, he's got one of the quickest bats in the organization, pound for pound. He's one of the strongest guys in the organization. He, uh, I did not, again, check last night's games, but the first 15 chances he handled in the field without error, he was making the plays at shortstop. And I mean, the uh, Rockies obviously liked Trevor Story. He's a former supplemental first-round pick, after all. But I think even he has, has opened their eyes a little bit. And, you know, they've got another rookie, Christian Adamas, who's, you know, maybe a better glove and, and not nearly as much upside with the bat, kind of in that mix, too. But right now I would, uh, I would jump on Trevor Say Any listeners who are in fantasy leagues, because uh, I'm sure your Twitter feed like mine, Jonathan. I get about 50 yep. fantasy questions a day. Trevor story is a guy who has not been hyped probably as much as he deserves, but it, it's going to start to happen and, and jump on him now.
1: Awesome information, guys, from around the Cactus League. I know you guys aren't done out west, and then eventually we'll make your way to Florida. So we'll touch on more teams certainly in the coming weeks here on the Pipeline Podcast. But outstanding stuff. This has been the Pipeline Podcast. Jonathan Mayo, Jim Callis, thanks so much.